Jesus has given us some very clear direction about what our priorities in life ought to be. We see that near the end of Jesus' earthly ministry, a man came up to Jesus and asked him, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment of all? And Jesus quickly responded saying, the greatest commandment is this, to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. But Jesus didn't stop there. He immediately went right on and said, the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I think it's really interesting that when Jesus is answering this question, he answers not only with the first commandment, which is what was asked about, but he also asked, or he answered about the second one as well. And it's ironic because the man who asked the question didn't ask, what are the top two commandments? He just asked, what's the, what's the greatest one of all? But Jesus felt compelled to talk about what the top two are, I think because the top two are so closely connected. That loving God is intimately connected with loving others around us. Remember, Jesus even said, the second is like it. The first commandment is love God. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Some people have said that the way that we treat others around us is a very good indication of the health of our own walk with God. That if we uh, are constantly judgmental or condemning about others, if we are gossiping about others, if we struggle a whole lot with impatience or with anger towards others, that can be an indication that there's some sort of short circuit in terms of how our relationship with God is playing out in our lives, particularly in terms of our relationships with others. Now, I think if we really dug into our own lives and and ask each one of us if we want to be loving towards others, I think we'd all say yes. We definitely want to love others genuinely and authentically. But I also think that if we really dig down into our heart of hearts, we would probably recognize that there are parts of us that really struggle to love others. One of the things I think about is how we sometimes have stereotypes of other people or generalities um, or lists in our minds, uh, a list of the type of people we like and a list of the type of people that we really struggle to get along with or struggle to really even be in their presence at times. There can be any number of different things on these lists. Uh, sometimes people in their mental list, it's usually a mental list that they would never admit to anyone else and may not even recognize in themselves. But sometimes these lists that still affect the way that we treat others include things like their wealth. Are, are, they, are they really well off financially? Are they really struggling? Um, another, another classic thing is uh, people's ethnicity or people's level of education. These are some of the classic things that kind of subdivide various aspects of culture where you, most people are comfortable relating with certain ethnicities or certain levels of income or certain levels of education, but perhaps others may be a little bit more challenging to relate to. We sometimes have other preferences as well such as appearance. We may see someone and think, man, that guy's hair is way too long. A guy should never have hair that long. Or her hair is too short. Um, Or we can have things like musical preferences. Uh, We may hear that someone really likes rock music or rap music. And even though we hear that, okay, they like Christian rock music or Christian rap music, we can still look at them and say, well, really, even though as Christian lyrics... The rock, the rock style or that rap style or that hip-hop style really perverts the message. And so it's not really worshiping God. They really shouldn't be listening to stuff like that. Or maybe things like schooling preferences. If you have school-aged kids, it might be easy to look at others and say, man, I can't believe that they send their kids to public school. There's no way that their kid's going to make it through there with their faith intact. Or someone else I mean, may look at a different family and say, can you believe it? They homeschool their kids. 
It's easy to have these stereotypes and these generalities in our minds that, that, that are really shaped by what our preferences are, what, what we prefer in our own life, but we project that onto others, and oftentimes what it leads to is some sort of prejudice against others. We may not recognize it, but it can really affect the way that we treat others, the way that we live out that love that we're supposed to show to others. This week I was thinking about this idea of prejudice, and I realized I've never really thought before about the root of what the word prejudice means. It really means prejudging someone. It, it, I mean, that's, that's what the, the, root, the word is, prejudging, where you are already forming a judgment about them before you really know them. I mean, you look at their exterior appearance, you look at some of the circumstances they may, may be going on in their lives, and you form some opinion or some judgment of them before you actually get to know them for real, what's going on inside of their heart, what's really happening in their lives. That's prejudice. And that's the topic that we're talking about this morning. And I think it's important that we address this topic because if we want to love others as we love ourselves, it's very important that we identify those areas of prejudice in our lives that may prevent us from loving all people equally. I invite you to turn your Bibles to James chapter 2. James 2 is where we're picking up on our Follower App series. Uh, if you were here uh, several weeks ago, we, we left off with our Follower App series just before Palm Sunday. We t- took a couple-week break, um, but now we're resuming it. But we're resuming it in a different section of the series. We're breaking down the book of James into three different categories of Follower Apps, or applications that we can make to our lives to grow as followers of Christ. The first category that we looked at was faithfulness to God. So through chapter 1 of James, we looked at faithfulness to God through trials and through temptations and through frustrations. And then a general look at uh, being faithful to God in all areas of our life. Today we're switching to a new category of follower apps. And it's the category of integrity in our relationships. As I spoke about a few minutes ago, Jesus expects us, if we really express love for God, that we also love others around us. And that we do that with integrity. Uh, in our relationships with others. So today, we're looking at verses 2 through 13, um, or 1 through 13 of James chapter 2, to look at this idea of rejecting the prejudice that is so easily in our lives. So as as we prepare ourselves to look at this passage, will you please pray with me? Lord, um, as we come to this passage this morning, um, we confess how easy it is to hold prejudice against others. And sometimes it's just for little petty things, uh, just little pet peeves or little annoyances that, that get under our skin. Other times, Lord, we acknowledge that it's bigger things that um, are just um, aspects of life that we've just um, that have been ingrained in us through our families, through our culture, that we don't want to think differently about others, but we find that when we really examine ourselves, we do. And so I pray that as we look at this passage this morning, that you will give us wisdom and, and discernment into our own lives and help us, Lord, to have the courage... Um, and the discernment and the grace and the strength necessary to reject any sort of prejudice that is in our lives that prevents us from loving everyone with the love that Christ loves us with. And we pray these things in his name. Amen. I invite you to follow along as I begin reading in James 2, verse 1, where James says, My brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing the fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there. 
or sit, at my, sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you have insulted the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are slandering the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in the scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Now, when James starts out here, he starts out right away just sharing what the main point is in this whole passage. He says, don't judge people on appearances. You look at in verse 1, he says, as believers in the glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. This favoritism is literally talking about receiving the face. Now, that's literally what it means in the original language, that you see someone's face, you see their exterior appearance, and you form some, some judgment of them based on their external appearance. That's what favoritism is. That's what prejudice is. And James says, don't do that. And then he goes on in verses 2 through 4 to share an example that is most likely some sort of real-life example that he has learned from uh, one of these churches that he's writing to. It's an example that takes place in a church setting. Now, to set the stage, we have to understand that their church had a slightly, uh, actually a significantly different feel than our church does today. Their church would meet in a house. It would typically be 20 to 50 people or so there. And in this church scenario, you have two new people who walk in. And, and in this scenario, you want to go greet them because you want to be a welcoming host there at your church. And just as a little aside, I would hope that that would also characterize us here at Freedens, that if we see a newcomer, see a guest coming and visiting us, that we would be very intentional to reach out to them, to help them feel welcome, help them feel comfortable here. I mean, you think about when someone comes into your home, um, you want them to be be comfortable there. You want them to feel welcome. You don't want to completely ignore them or pretend that they aren't there or pretend that you wish they weren't there. You want to make them feel welcome. And that's what, in this scenario, the person is doing. They're going up to these two newcomers to welcome them and help them to find their way around this church setting. But these two newcomers, they couldn't look more different in their appearance. One man is described as a very wealthy man. His wealth is obvious as he's wearing very fine clothes and he's even wearing gold rings. Now, in our culture, we don't think that much about gold rings. A lot of us um, wear, I mean, I wear a gold ring every day. But then rings meant something very different than they do today. And they were much more elaborate than ours today. These gold rings that this man was wearing were an indication of his extravagant wealth. Rich people wore gold rings as a sign of their wealth. And it was also a way for them to store their wealth in a safe place right on their fingers. And so this man comes in, he's wearing these gold rings, he's wearing this fine clothing. It's kind of the equivalent today if someone drove a a high-end Mercedes up to the church and then came in wearing an Armani suit and wearing a genuine Rolex watch. 
I mean, it'd be the same type of feel. You could, sit, you could re- recognize this guy has a lot of money. And so here comes this guy into your church. And you go over to him and, and say, hey, welcome to our church. Here, here's a really nice seat for you right here. You may even be willing to give up your own seat for that guy as a sign of your hospitality and appreciation that he's here. In the back of your mind, you may even be thinking, hey, that guy has a lot of money. When the offering plate goes around, he may be able to help out our church quite a bit. So you give that one guy, the guy who um, is obviously quite wealthy, a lot of great treatment. But the other guy, like I said, who's come in the door about the same time, looks significantly different. It's very obvious that he does not have the level of wealth that the first man has. His clothes are quite shabby. I mean, they're just barely a step up over rags. I mean, you get within a few feet of him, it's very evident that he hasn't uh, washed himself or his clothes for several days, if not even into a week or two. And, I mean, you want to make him feel welcome. There's a part of you that may think, oh, I kind of wish he wasn't here, but I'm supposed to make him feel welcome. So, here, why don't you stand over there? Or there's some room down here at my feet. You can sit there if you'd like as well. Now, James is making the point. He's not making the point that there's anything wrong with wealth here. He's making the point that there's a problem with judging based on exterior appearances. Because that's what this person has really done in this scenario. That he, this, he doesn't really know anything about those two men besides the way they look. But there's a significant distinction in how he's treated them. And that distinction is completely based on their appearance. So in verse 4, James says, Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? He says it's evil to, to judge someone based on exterior appearances. The motives are wrong. And as we go through the rest of this passage, we're going to see James lay out three specific reasons why it's wrong to judge people based on their appearances. The first thing that James points out in verse 5 is that God doesn't judge on appearances. Verse 5, James really gets right down to business and he says, Listen, my dear brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith? God doesn't show favoritism. God doesn't judge based on appearances. In fact, in Romans 2.11, it specifically says, uh, quote there, God doesn't show favoritism. And then back in 1 Samuel chapter 16, we see a very clear statement uh, distinguishing the way that people judge others and the way that God does. 1 Samuel 16 verse 7 says, The Lord does not look at the things that man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. You know, as human beings, it's so easy to look at other people and form opinions of them or even judgments of them based on the way they look. I mean, we look at how much money they have, how successful they are in life, whether they're accomplishing their dreams. We look at their family. We look at the type of car they're driving. We can look at any number of different external appearances and form opinions and judgments of them. It's easy to do. But 1 Samuel 16, 7 says, God doesn't look at those things. He's not concerned with how successful you are outwardly. He's concerned about what's going on in your heart. And ultimately, what, in terms of what's going, on, what's going on in our hearts, God is looking at how do you respond to Christ? What do you do with Christ? It's been said that the ground at the foot of the cross is level, meaning that we all come to the cross in the same way. We all come as sinners in need of a Savior. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, if you're famous or if you're unknown, if you have accomplished all of your dreams in your life or if you feel like a relative failure. It doesn't matter if other people accept you or reject you. 
It doesn't matter if, if you feel like you've been faithful to God all of your life or if you have a lot of baggage from your past or even your present. The ground at the foot of the cross is level. We all come to Christ as sinners in need of a Savior. God doesn't show favoritism based on exterior appearances. He looks at our heart to see where is your heart in relationship to recognizing your need for Christ. And I think this is good news for all of us uh, because we all, if we examine ourselves, should recognize that we all need help. But God offers that help freely to all of us without judging on appearances or showing favoritism. And you look throughout Scripture. A lot of the big names in Scripture that God works through very powerfully have a lot of messy baggage in their past. I mean, people like Paul, people like King David, uh, people like Moses, uh, people like Apostle Peter. I mean, these are guys who wrote Scripture, but among them and some of the other big names, you have people who are murderers and adulterers, and, and there, some of them were cowards, and some of them stabbed people in the back. Um, I mean, some of them were prostitutes. I mean, it's, it's quite a collection of people here who God chooses to work through, but it shows that God is not interested in, in worrying about the outward appearances. He's not interested that much in what's your baggage. He's interested in where's your heart now and where are you going in relationship with Christ. And even in terms of ethnicity, which in our world uh, and even in our country has become such a dividing point, and, and there are so many stereotypes associated with ethnicities, I think that anyone who has prejudices based on ethnicities or race is going to have a big problem if they make it to heaven. Because heaven, as described in Revelation, is a place where people from every nation, tongue, tribe, and language is going to be worshiping God. I mean, we're going to be worshiping God with people of all different countries, all different ethnicities and races. God doesn't show favoritism. He's looking at what's going on in the hearts of people, and we should do the same. We can't see the hearts, so that should make us humble. But we need to make sure that we aren't judging people based on exterior appearances. So that's the first reason James gives not to judge people based on appearances. It's because God doesn't do that either. The second reason is because appearances can be very deceiving. James goes on in this passage uh, to talk about this, this, this tendency that people have to raise the rich and the wealthy and the worldly successful people up on a pedestal. He says, you've insulted the poor if you do that. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are slandering the noble name of him to whom you belong, meaning Christ? I think it's very tempting to want to elevate certain people up on a pedestal and treat them better because we think we're going to get some sort of benefits from them. But James, using, continuing this theme of uh, economics and wealth, he says, that doesn't even make sense. You may think you're going to get something good from this, but, but you're probably not. And we have to look at this through the eyes of the people back in the first century as well to whom James is writing. Because back then, the poor really were oppressed by the rich. I mean, they were exploited so the rich could get richer. The rich people would drag the poor people in the courts in order to squeeze every penny out of the people who already didn't have much. And in doing so, these rich people would oftentimes slander the name of Christ. And so James is saying, look... Don't get caught up in the appearances, even though they can be very alluring, because appearances can be very deceiving. I remember learning this lesson in an interesting way back uh, just after I graduated from college. I was going on staff with the campus ministry, and I was basically a missionary who had to raise my own financial support. And most of my financial support came not from churches, but from individuals and families in the surrounding communities where I lived. 
And a lot of these people I was meeting with, I'd never met before, I'd never heard of. Granted, a few of them I definitely didn't know of. But through references and referrals, I got to sit down with a wide variety of people. And I realized early on that I had a natural tendency to get really excited when I was driving up to the house of someone who seemed to be quite wealthy. You had a prominent name in the community, or they just had a big mansion or really nice cars out in front. I had a natural tendency to look at the external appearances of that, even if I did not know them personally at all, and get kind of excited thinking, all right, this, this person, this family could really help me out in my financial support raising. And on the other side, there would be times where I'd be going up to a house and see, okay, it doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of money here. I don't know if they'll really be able to help me out very much. That was a natural human tendency I had as I was going on these uh, visits to various families. They would look at the exterior appearances. But I found out very quickly the exterior appearances of a house or of, an, uh, of a well-known name in the community um, or of uh, what's probably a high-paying job, that has very little correlation to how much financial support they gave me. I, mean, I had people who, um, I mean, lived in million-dollar mansions who gave me nothing or very little. And I had people who seemed like they probably wouldn't be able to afford much of anything, and they gave very generously. I mean, I think of one uh, young woman. I'd never, know, I'd never met her before. I was just um, in that church one Sunday, and I was in a particular Sunday school class. And, I mean, we just talked for a few minutes, and she expressed some interest in being able to support my ministry financially and in prayer. So I gave her some information. She indicated that she would uh, get a response to me within a week or so. And when her, her envelope came in the mail, um, I mean, I, I always got excited when I opened up those envelopes to see what they were going to give. This woman, I almost fell out of my chair when I opened it up. She was a single mom, a nurse, and I thought, okay, she's probably stretched pretty thin. The envelope indicated that she was going to be giving me $100 a month in financial support. Like I said, I almost fell out of my chair. Um, I mean, I was just shocked. I mean, and I, I mean there wasn't a one-to-one correlation on, okay, if, you're, um, if you don't have a whole lot of money, you're going to be generous, or if you don't have a whole lot of money, you won't, be, you won't be able to give much, or if you have a lot of money, you will be generous, or if you have a lot of money, you won't. There wasn't any sort of correlation there, and I want to be careful in, in saying, I don't know the circumstances that are going on in every person's life. Um, I know some people couldn't give because their giving was already maxed out. They were already giving in so many other places they couldn't support me. So I'm not saying this in order to try to judge people or say, oh, they should be more generous. And I'm saying this to indicate that we need to be very careful not to form judgments on people based on exterior appearances. Because exterior appearances aren't a good indicator of someone's internal character or where they stand with God or really of much else. One of the places in our society where I think we still see a lot of... um, of judgments going on is in the racial uh, relationships of people. We may, granted, I do think that racial um, issues have gotten better over the last number of decades here in America, but it's still a very real issue here. You know, sometimes we elevate people because of some good quality that we like in them, but other times we look down on people because of, that, of other qualities that we don't like in them. And I think the racial things are, are one of those characteristics that cause us at times to look down on people even if we don't really know it. Uh, back when I was in college, I was on a missions trip in inner city Chicago for a couple months, and I saw this firsthand a number of different times. Let me explain one of the times. Um, it was one of those that's deeply ingrained in my memory. 
One morning, uh, I was out with some friends picking up trash along a, a fairly busy street in this neighborhood. There was a busy enough street that there were a lot of people who didn't live in the neighborhood who cut through the street just to get to their place of work. And on this particular morning, we were picking up trash, and, and this silver Mercedes pulled up next to us, and it was a, Cauca- a Caucasian businessman wearing a nice suit. And he just asked us, say, hey, what are you guys doing out here? And we said, well, we're just out here picking up trash. I just want to show the love of Jesus in a very practical way. And, and he said, why do you want to do that? And these people don't deserve this. You shouldn't be doing this. And with that, he sped off quickly. And that's ingrained in my mind because I just think, how can he say these people don't deserve this? I mean, how do you say someone is deserving of something and someone else isn't, especially based on exterior appearances? Because what I have seen is that, especially as I've gotten to know people in those communities, is that there are a lot of very giving, uh, very gracious, very loving people there. You can't make generalities just because of a neighborhood or because of a skin color um, or anything like that. And one of the other things I found there is there are a lot of people in these neighborhoods that it's easy to look down on those neighborhoods or people who live there. And, and, but in those neighborhoods are a lot of people who deeply love Christ. Let me share with you the story of one woman who I got to know pretty well there who left a deep impact on me. I really uh, respect her a lot. Her name is Pearl Willis. She's the one on the left up there. Um, she doesn't like her picture taken. She's very humble, but I felt like, I mean, my life was impacted so much from knowing her during those couple of weeks that I wanted her picture to remember her. So picture of she and her daughter. Pearl, she goes by Miss Pearl. Uh, that's what, what she likes to be called. She runs a daycare for the children of teen mothers in the inner city there in Chicago. Uh, this daycare is intended, to, it, it's a free daycare, it's a Christian-based daycare, but it's for those children of the teen mothers so that the mothers don't have to drop out of school when they have the children, but so the mothers can keep going to school and get their high school education and even go on to college if they want. Like I said, it's free. One of the requirements, though, is that every mom who has a child in the daycare has to attend a weekly Bible study. And through the course of the last 20 years or so, as Miss Pearl's been running uh, this daycare, uh, they've had about 200 moms who've been involved in some way or another. But about 50 moms, 50 single moms, were able to complete high school as a result of Miss Pearl and her daycare watching them. And in this, in this neighborhood, that's a very big deal because there's a very vicious cycle that takes place um, in, in neighborhoods like this sometimes where people have kids as a teenager— and then they have to drop out of school in order to care for the kid. And then they struggle to ever get a job. Oftentimes there are drugs and alcohol involved in there. And then it starts this vicious cycle of that kid grows up in that environment and then um, has a kid as a teenager, drops out of school, can't get employed. It's a vicious cycle. So Miss Pearl is working hard to stop that vicious cycle. So through her day- daycare, about 50 uh, teenage moms have been able to finish high school um, 11 of those moms have also completed college. And on top of that, another 18 have gotten some other sort of certification, whether it's in a nursing type of program, whether it's in cosmetology or something else to enable them to get good jobs. And Miss Pearl has been able to have a significant influence in the community as well. In her one block, um, there, when she started the daycare, there were five houses that were called drug houses. Um, there were more houses than that, but five of them were drug houses, which are where drug dealers live and, and distribute drugs out of the houses. When I met her in 2001, she was proud to report that the last drug house had just moved out of that block about three weeks earlier. So at that point, through her influence, 
all the drug dealers left that particular part of the neighborhood. So she had a significant influence, and, and even personally, she significantly uh, encouraged my own walk with God. One of the things I admire about her is her heart for prayer. Um, I mean, one day we were working in the basement of one of her daycares and knocking out a wall, and there was a little confusion over whether it was a load-bearing wall or not. And, and so she just came right down as we were all in a little bit of chaos, and she said, guys, let's pray. So she just gathered us around and led us in prayer. And, um, I mean, that characterized her personality. I remember another time I was going to a lumberyard with her to pick up some siding as we were helping reside one of the uh, houses where the daycare was hosted. <laughs> she was praying on the way there. Uh, she loved, in her words, to sprinkle Jesus on people. Uh, just to sprinkle Jesus into the conversations that she had with people. Um, I mean, I saw her sprinkling old Jesus in the conversations with the garbage man. She gave him a cold glass of water. Saw her sprinkling Jesus in the conversations with the kids in the neighborhood. She passed out uh, bowls of ice cream to them on a hot day. I mean, she just exuded the love of Christ in a practical way to those around her. And she's obviously had a very significant impact uh, in that community, but beyond. A, a number of years ago, she was actually named El- Illinois Humanitarian of the Year um, for all of her service. Now, I mean, she sounds like a great woman, doesn't she? And she really is. Would you believe that back in the early 90s, when she, she came to know Christ in the early 90s and then started a daycare within a couple of years of that, would you believe that when she came to know Jesus, she asked her mom, Mom, can I go to church with you? She went to church with her mom. And when she got to church, she was shunned by all the people there in the church, especially some of the women there. She said they despised her. They didn't want anything to do with her. They wanted her to leave that church. And the reason was because of her background. I haven't shared her background yet. For the 17 years before Miss Pearl came to know Christ, she was a drug dealer and a prostitute. And she had three children by three different fathers. She says during um, the, the pregnancy of Octavia, who's pictured there with her, Miss Pearl didn't even know that she was pregnant until she gave birth because she was so high in heroin through the entire pregnancy. And so, I mean, just a lot of really rough stuff in her past. And, and so she came into this church, and a lot of people in this church knew that background, and they didn't want anything to do with her. They had a saying of once a hooker, always a hooker. They didn't think that there was any way that Miss Pearl could change. And so they did everything they could to push her out. But thankfully, God had grabbed a hold of her life was, and was in the process of doing an amazing transformational work in the years since then. You've already heard some of what, she's, uh, what God has done through her. I mean, through her, many, many people have come to know Christ. And it's just an amazing story. But I think that response to that church back in the early 90s when she first came to Christ and had just a lot of messy baggage in her background, I think that needs to serve as a warning for us. That it's easy to look at other people, and maybe they do have some messy baggage in their background. Maybe, uh, maybe their appearances aren't very attractive. We need to be careful that we aren't pushing people away because those are the very people that Jesus welcomes right into his midst. Jesus welcomes anyone and everyone to come to him and to follow him. He doesn't care about where you've been. doesn't even care about what's going on right now. He's looking at where are you going from here on out? What's going on in your heart with Christ? One of the things that happens when we get judgmental attitudes or stereotypes that cause us to look down on others or put up barriers in their, in their, in their paths as they're trying to come to Christ or come into church or, or just even get to know us, one of the things that happens is we push them away. Christ. 
But appearances can be very deceiving. And only God knows what's in a person's heart. And only he knows what he wants to do in their life in the future. So our call is not to judge people based on appearances, but to welcome them to come to Christ regardless of where they have been, regardless of our own personal preferences uh, that are playing out in our relationship with them. So appearances can be very deceiving. And finally, James says here that judging on appearances is just plain wrong. He says in uh, beginning in verse 8, If you really keep the royal law found in the scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. And he goes on to describe how we know that murder is a sin, we know that adultery is a sin. I think what this points to is how in our minds, it's very easy to have a list of major sins, then a list of just little sins, things that really aren't that big of a deal. The major sin list is things like adultery and, and murder and maybe doing drugs or stuff like that. On this minor sin list, it's more refined, uh, more socially acceptable sins like greed, uh, being a little judgmental, maybe gossiping a little bit here and there. It's easy to have that, um, that, those different lists there and think, okay, as long as we don't do anything, any of those really bad things, we're doing all right. But James says here in verses 8 through 11 that favoritism or being judgmental when we're just looking at someone else's appearance is just as much of a sin as murder or adultery. It's all sin. If, you're, if you are guilty of breaking one of the things, you're guilty of breaking them all. You're all sinners. We are all sinners in need of a Savior. So, so we shouldn't judge people based on appearances. I want to, as we close this morning, I want to rewind back to verse 1 of our passage. James started out this passage saying, My brothers and my sisters, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. There's that phrase there, our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. It's a very unique phrase. We don't see it anywhere else in the New Testament, the glorious Lord Jesus Christ. It's very true, but I think it's interesting how James refers to Jesus as our glorious Lord, especially in this context. And I think that one of the reasons that James does this is to point to the fact that when we think of Jesus, we think of him in all of his glory. But we need to recognize that Jesus wasn't, didn't always look so glorious when you look at external appearances. In Philippians chapter 2, we see the process that Jesus went through as he stepped off his heavenly throne and came to earth. It says, Jesus, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or forcefully held on to, but he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. We know from, Jesus, uh, from the rest of Scripture that Jesus in his earthly ministry, he was not rich. He never wrote a book. He never uh, had a formal education. He never even had a home of his own. I mean, really the only possessions he had that we know of were the clothes on his back. And I think that if we are people who tend to look down on others based on their appearances, if we were uh, to travel back in time 2,000 years ago and came face to face with Jesus or observe his ministry from a little bit of a distance, I would bet that we would be prone to look down on Jesus just as we look down on people today. 
Because we would look at Jesus not like something about the way he dressed. We would look at Jesus not like uh, his socioeconomic status. We would look at Jesus and hear some of his teaching and think, I really don't like that teaching that much. Or we look at his followers and think, how can he associate himself with those people? I think James here is offering a warning to not look down on anyone because of appearances. Because Jesus himself, even though he's now glorious at one time, was, very hum- was in a very humble circumstance. And appearances wouldn't have drawn people to him. But Jesus sets an example for us in how he showed love and mercy and grace to anyone and everyone who would come to him. He didn't put up barriers in the way. He just said, come, follow me. And we see him showing amazing love and mercy. And he, he had such a servant heart. And I think that's one of the things that we can apply to our lives when we think about how do we get past those stereotypes we have and get past uh, that, that tendency to judge people based on their appearances is to serve them selflessly, to put their own priorities ahead of our own, to, to show them love in a very practical way. And that can really soften our heart um, towards people like this. And this points to not only does showing this love to people and mercy to people help draw them to Christ, but it transforms us in the process and makes us more loving in a Christ-like way. May we be people who extend Christ's love to others as he extended his love to us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for loving us so richly and so deeply that while we were yet sinners, you came to die for us. We recognize that in ourselves there is nothing attractive, nothing in our appearance that would draw you to us. I mean, for we were sinful people who were rebellious against you, who were running the opposite way. But you came to seek us out because you loved us. And I pray that we will follow the example that you have set in showing love and mercy and grace to others. Even if we struggle uh, to really get along with them or to like them, God, I pray that you'll help us to identify those areas that... that, um, that we may have some prejudices, help us to address those, to reject those, and to follow, um, follow your teaching and to see people as you see them and to love them with the love that you have for them. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.